Hello and welcome to Shut Up and Jimmer. I am your host as always, Steve Pierce, here joined again as always by my brave and valiant co-host, Robbie McCombs. Robert, how are you this fine evening? Doing well, Steve. I'm I'm enjoying not having snow. I mean, I live here in Seattle and a lot of people bang on Seattle's weather. And But you know what? Seattle doesn't snow. You know, it rains a lot. But Seattle has the best summers in the world. So, you know, I'll take incredible summers for some cloudy days in the winter. So staying out of snow for our friends in Utah, it seems like they got pounded with snow down there. But uh, yeah, life life's moving along, Steve. Life is, I think my life is better than the BYU basketball team. So that's pretty low bar, uh, but enough. I think I'm above so that. It's a low bar, my friend. But I'm glad think, that it's better than the BYU basketball team. Yeah, I think I think I'm surpassing that at least. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's good to hear. I uh, I was born in the uh, in the great state of Washington, so I I, I too have an appreciation for uh, the wonders of the Pacific Northwest, particularly uh, in the summertime. Um, but I do remember a point in my life. Uh, I I lived there until I was like I don't know maybe six. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was like probably like three years old, uh, my dad used to get up in the work with get up in the morning with me, and he'd go to work, and he'd let my mom sleep because she was pregnant with my younger sister. And so he'd like just he taught me how to like work the remote control for the television, and he just like nice. put me in front of the TV, and like I go to work, and he'd go to work. Um, I just vividly remember one day like somehow navigating to like the morning news, and I saw that it was like going to be three consecutive days of, of sun because it had three, you know, sunny smiley faces or whatever. Yeah. And I remember running into my mother's room and being so excited that there were going to be three straight days of sun. Um, and that's <laughs> what I remember about, right. about my youth in this, yeah. in the state of Washington. Although but, I, I do, I do love it. Yeah. Between November and April, if you could get three days of uh, sun, then everybody goes outside. But you just got to get through those winter months, get to those beautiful summer months. But yeah. I digress. We won't talk about Washington's weather on this podcast. Maybe future episodes if BYU continues to lose. But we'll Maybe see. we'll get back to it. Maybe we'll get back to it uh, when we go to the, the Spokane road trip. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. the other side of the state. It's a totally different place, which a lot of people don't realize. Yep. Um, just like a totally different environment over there. But anyway... Uh, let's get back to what we normally talk about here, which is, this is not a Seattle weather podcast. Uh, this is shut up and Jimmer, where we talk about the dispiriting state of, uh, the Brigham Young university men's basketball team. Uh, as always, thank you for listening. Uh, and if you're new, uh, and gosh, I don't know why you'd be jumping on this bandwagon now, but if you are new, uh, we are on all of the podcast platforms. If you would like to get your daily not daily, weekly dose of depression uh, straight to your phone as soon as it becomes available. Uh, you could subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on Pocket Casts, on any plat- anywhere where you can get podcasts, you can get us talking about how bad this basketball team is. Um, and, you know, if you if you feel so inclined while you're there, Hit us with a rating or a review, um, or both. Uh, that that helps us out tremendously, uh, and makes makes it just makes all the the time that we spend talking about a very mediocre men's basketball team uh, very worth it. So anyway, let's get to the week. Um, 
Speaking of mediocre men's basketball teams, BYU had a kind of so-so week. They had a a road win. They started with a road win on Thursday against Pepperdine uh, up in a building where they have really struggled to win in past years. Uh, and then on Saturday, kind of frittered it away by just looking completely outclassed uh, by San Francisco uh, on the road uh, on the hilltop. So let's start with what was good, Robbie, which I guess would be just the entire Pepperdine game generally. What was what was working for BYU there, and why was that such a good win on the road? Yeah, I think this will be pretty much split into the Pepperdine and San Francisco game since it was just such a large chasm, kind of what we saw between the two. But as far as the Pepperdine game, um, it just kind of seems a while ago, it just kind of seems like the San Francisco game kind of took away any lingering good taste after that. But as far as good things, I, I mean, TJ, I mean, he's just been really good this season. I think he'll be all-conference player, which is a shame that BYU will have two first-team all-conference players and barely be above 500. But outside of that, I mean, TJ, arguably his best, the best game of his BYU career. Um, I think his best moment of the BYU career, Steve, was uh, his freshman year when BYU beat, snapped Gonzaga's uh 20 had they ruined Gonzaga's perfect season. If you, I mean, and, and that at that game, BYU's down 15 to two, and then TJ just three three that made those three threes in a row. Um, I remember I was at that game, yeah. I was just losing my mind. It's like, oh my gosh, but he's absolutely crushed. And it just kind of showed TJ what he could do. Like, he, when he gets hot, nobody on the team could get a hot hand like TJ, and that includes Yoli Childs. But I mean, that game, I, you mentioned it on Twitter, Steve, and I was. When you tweeted, I was actually thinking the exact same game. He was a very, very, very poor man's James Harden. I mean, it's not. We're, we're not comparing him to James a, Harden, a whole, like an extremely homeless man's James <laughs> yeah, Harden. Yes, exactly. And uh, extremely homeless man James Harden is still an extremely good basketball player. Yeah, but still, just the type of game he had. I mean, because just because James Harden is a very crafty player and gets the free throw line, then. TJ was doing some of those things in a very homeless man, James Harden, homeless man way. Um, he got to the foul line 22 times, converted 18 of them. It seems like he has at least one of those a game where he shoots a three, gets his defender in the air, and jaws three free throws. That kind of almost seems like a staple now of a TJ Haas, like the past eight games or so. It seems like he gets at least one of those just about every game. Yeah. Just because obviously they got to because he could get to the basket and he could shoot threes. So he's just really good at getting his guy in the air. But he had a career-high 34 points that game. And he's just distributing the ball really well. I feel like since Jashir's been out and TJ's had the ball in his hands, I feel like TJ's played more comfortable just because he's played... He he can play off the ball, but he's he's a completely different player than his brother Tyler. Like he needs the ball in his hand because he the way he gives the ball to Yoli and the rest of the team. I mean, he had eight assists that game. The crazy thing about TJ this year, Steve, he's BYU's second leading rebounder after Yoli. Uh, Yoli averages just a tick under ten, and TJ averages four rebounds a game, and he's BYU's second leading rebounder. So huh. I think that speaks to more about the lackluster rebounding woes that BYU's rebounding woes more than. TJ's rebounder. I mean, props to TJ for yeah. rebounding because BYU needs all the help they could get on the glass. But I mean, he was incredible that game. Thirty-four points, seven boards, eight assists. Just he's just doing everything. He was getting everybody involved. Twenty-two free throws. I know. Twenty-two. That's, when's the last time? I'm, it's insane in a college game. It's insane in any game, but it's I, insane in a college game. It is. I really wish I would have looked this up beforehand. The last time a, a BYU played more than twenty, if, I think Jimmer. I remember that TCU game in the Mountain West Conference tournament when he had forty-five his junior year. I think he shot mm. over 20 free throws that game. 
I don't know if Jimmer had a game his senior year where he shot over 20 free throws. He he probably did because he's Jimmer. But uh, I, I it's been a, I can't remember the last time at BYU. I think it's probably Jimmer Jimmer's junior was a BYU player that many free throws. But what I really like TJ too. I mean, he's just the competitor he is. I mean, Colby Ross is a really good guy for Pepperdine, but TJ was getting in Colby Ross's face. And when you bring out when the opposing team brings out fiery TJ, I mean that that's when the best TJ comes out. When TJ yeah. just is like when people challenge him, like oh he's this six four skinny guy, and that's that's when TJ just goes off, and that's what we saw. He's a He's a world-class irritant. That's the thing that you forget about TJ. That guy can just really get like it. Just he just gets under your fingernails, and he's just he just he just annoys people. Yeah, he'll he'll put those little bony elbows into you. He'll do this all this little stuff too. Like when you're at games. I mean, I don't go to a lot of games, but when I do go to games, he does all this little stuff too that gets into opponents minds like he'll give them a little tug on the jersey when they're coming off a screen he'll put it on a dead ball when they're before the inbound he'll put the elbow into the guy's side like he just all these little things to get in our opponent's skin and then he'll go right by you to the rim so i mean he's just such a good competitor and it's just so fun to see what he's doing this season um I, i'm really excited to see what he's gonna do his senior season because it's gonna be a, a bad byu team and he's gonna have to do everything but uh I digress a little bit, but yeah, TJ, he's just awesome that game. And then obviously, I mean, it's the same thing every game, TJ and Yoli. I mean, Yoli, he's, I feel like he's been a little less engaged the last couple of weeks, week or two, Steven. I mean, I don't blame him. This BYU team's going nowhere. So literally, like, I mean, BYU's obviously way out of the NCAA tournament picture. So it's probably tough for Yoli. Obviously I, he has individual goals, but I think he is a team guy. I think he really did want to get to the NCAA tournament this year. So I think it was just, I think it's tough for him just to stay engaged every single game. It's like, okay, he's probably like, Hey, if I get hurt, then I'm not going to be drafted next year. And I don't really want to come back to BYU next year. Cause I could hurt my draft stock. So I'm sure he has a little bit in the back of his mind, but I mean, he's still put up 20 points over 20 points, both games. Um, Really, in the second half of the USF game came alive a little bit, and that Pepperdine game kind of helped put it at the game away. So, I mean, he's doing his thing. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of the same thing, TJ and Yoli, every single game. And I'll let you hit on Gavin Baxter a little bit, Steve, because I know you've been beating that drum the whole year. But <laughs> it, it was, I mean, it's just, it really is so fun just to see TJ Haas, just, especially after the, the year last year, the really inconsistent year, just to see what he's doing. I mean, him and Yoli just giving BYU even just a fighting chance every single game. So it's just really fun to watch those two. And such a poor season for BYU by BYU standards. I mean, those guys are having incredible seasons. Yeah. And Yoli, I mean, I think, I think you're right. The observation that he looks somewhat less engaged. And I'm not sure if that's because he is, I don't know if that's because he's, he's actually just less mentally engaged or if, you know, we're into conference play now and everybody has scouted BYU really well. Mm-hmm. And most teams have figured out that he's basically, it's him and TJ and, and yeah. not a lot else on a, a lot part. of nights. And so they're throwing two or three defenders on him when he touches the ball, yeah. maybe not even when he touches, but the minute he puts the ball on the floor and commits to making a move, uh, they're just swarming him. And so he's, I feel like in the first half of both games this week, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. it just felt like he was trying to figure out how to crack this. And then in the second half, he kind of, he figured it out and he looked more like he he's looked his in, the entire season. Mm-hmm. But I think that's also been just a that's little a bit point. more of a struggle. Um, 
but yeah, it's uh, TJ was incredible in that game, and Yoli is Yoli is Yoli. But I think that the you know beyond TJ just being doing the best homeless man's James Harden impression um, was Gavin Baxter was the biggest the biggest difference maker in that game, not named TJ Haas. He had an incredible game, which is something that. We've obviously talked about a lot in terms of you know needing to get him minutes uh, in the past, uh, particularly now that you know BYU is no longer on the NCAA bubble or the NIT bubble. They're on like the CBI bubble. <laughs> um, <laughs> now is the time to invest in the kids and get and get these kids, these younger guys, uh, some minutes because to see what they can do and to give them opportunities to grow. And guess what? Gavin Baxter got those minutes against Pepperdine. He played 23 minutes and he was incredible. He had 13 points, six rebounds, three blocks. The dude was doing everything on both sides of the ball. He gave them a completely different look uh, than they've had at any other point this year uh, because he he's a completely different player than anything else they have. And when he is playing and playing with confidence, um, it's just a completely different team. Defensively, he's long, man. You forget how long he is he's until so he gets long. out there. Yeah, he had just one of those some insane block where I think he was, he was so. It may have been goaltending, but it was so far up that I think the refs just like swallowed the whistle. Like that's impressive. I don't, <laughs> I'm not even mad. Yeah. Like that's. I'm just impressed. But uh, he he was he's protecting the rim in a way that BYU hasn't protected the rim uh, at all this year. Um, he was playing the top on when they went to the one three one. He was playing that top spot and spreading out those lanky arms um, and getting in passing lanes. And then offensively, he was he was doing productive things. He had thirteen points. Uh, nothing, you know, world changing. He did have one nice drive where he put a spin move on a guy. But he's just moving and, and cutting in and around the rim and then finishing. He had he caught two great. Uh, weak side lobs from TJ off TJ's penetration, which I have been screaming for, for as long as we've done this podcast now. I I think you might've passed out at one of those lobs, Steve. I think you (laughs) you probably blocked out. I'm sure. I did. I did. The second one for sure. Um, The first one, I I wasn't sure if I was still in in this reality or not. Uh, And the second one just confirmed that it was really happening. But uh, you know, it's just, you have a guy that's that athletic and that is, you know, can jump that high and has that long arms. The fact that they had not figured out how to just have him cut backside on the baseline and catch lobs off from a from a passer of TJ Haas's caliber was just this is like basketball malpractice to me. Um, and they finally figured it out, and it was great. And then it didn't happen again in the San Francisco game, which we could talk about in a minute. Yeah. But uh, it was great to see that progression from him. Um, and obviously he wasn't quite as effective versus San Francisco, didn't quite get the the minutes. Uh, but this performance against Pepperdine really felt like it kind of set the template for what he should be, what he can be, um, what he can do if he gets the gets the opportunities. That was that was the big revelation for me. I think Zach Zach Selyus also had you know one of his best games as a Cougar at nine points, ten boards, and was was just really huge in the huge half and really paced. Uh, paced BYU when Yoli struggled uh, kind of to warm up late and before Baxter really caught fire in the second half. Um, and he's do the thing about Zach is he's doing, he's been, I think, playing really well recently and doing so in kind of a different way than I think we'd expected. I think we talked a lot earlier in this season about how if Zach's not hitting threes, then Zach's not really bringing anything else to the table. So maybe he shouldn't really play, but he's, he's doing other stuff now. And yeah. he, I think he's shooting better than he was early in the season, which is great. And I think he's feeling a little bit more confidence. 
confidence. He's certainly more confident if his first shot goes down. Um, he's more confident the rest of the night. But regardless of the next, if the first shot goes down, and regardless of whether or not any shots are going down, he's playing defense. He's rebounding. I think he's improved leaps and bounds as an overall player over the course of this this season. Um, so it's been it's been really good to see him kind of take that step forward. And so between kind of him and Gavin really, really breaking out against Pepperdine, that was kind of, you know, we talked a lot about who's going to be the third guy, particularly with Jashir still being hurt um, for another week this week with a, with a hand injury, who's going to be the third guy that steps up. And on Thursday, it was it was kind of a two-headed monster of Zach Selyus and Gavin okay. Baxter and helped BYU get a huge win. That spin move Zach Selyus had in the first half might have been the least expected moment of the entire season. Do you know what you want to talk about? When <laughs> he put that spin move on. I was just like, whoa, Zach Selye says that in his arsenal. Like that was a beautiful move. I just did not expect that at all. But yeah, like you said, kudos to Zach. He was really the spark plug in the first half that kept BYU in the game, gave him a lead going into halftime. And then uh, just to finish off, I guess some things, um, I really like the ball movement in the first half, Steve. BYU's been inconsistent with that this year, and we saw that inconsistency in the later half of the week versus um, San Francisco. But BYU moved the ball really well. I think a lot of it comes TJ. TJ was really able to get to the rim, and then once he drew double teams, was able to distribute the ball. But ball movement was good against a small Pepperdine team. And then it was nice just to see BYU get physical. I mean, BYU really owned the paint that game. Going in, Pepperdine is, I mean, BYU is a small team, but Pepperdine is also a really small team. So BYU just really got into the paint. They outscored Pepperdine, I think, 42 to 28 in the paint. So, I mean, it's nice to see BYU use their physicality. Pepperdine's more of a physical finesse team, which, I mean, I wouldn't really categorize BYU as a physical team, but they do have some physical players with um, Yoli, I think Luke Worthington's a physical guy. So it was nice to see BYU. Maybe too physical sometimes. Yeah, a little too physical for his own good, picking up a little too quick fouls in the first half but uh BYU was kind of did have a little bit of identity that game they were the more physical team and I think that really kind of wore Pepperdine as the game got went along and really came up with the double digit margin at the end yeah I thought that I just I thought they looked great on both ends of the floor I was really I was after Thursday I was you know Pepperdine is not a good team no. per se. It's a place that BYU has struggled to win in the past. Um, but BYU looked, they took care of business like you would expect them to take care of business. They looked good on offense, like you were saying, moved the ball, 17 assists on their 28 field goals, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on defense, just a gritty performance. Um, you talked about them owning the paint, uh, 42-28 edge, uh, forced Pepperdine to shoot only 42% on two-point field goals, which is great. Um, and then Pepperdine shot a lot of threes. I think they shot 26 threes, uh, but they didn't make that many. They only made eight of the 26, and you know maybe some of that's on Pepperdine not knocking down shots, but I felt, I felt like BYU was doing a better job of contesting smartly, closing out low and slow. I, I felt like I saw some progress there that then disappeared against, uh, against San Francisco. But overall, I thought it was a really complete performance, maybe one of the more complete performances uh, that BYU had put together to date, uh, certainly in conference play, but maybe in the season overall, which just made it that much more distressing 
when we got to Saturday and I actually, I like went into Saturday and I was like, man, maybe this is like, maybe they're turning the corner. You know, they've won three games in a row and I know they're all against like not great teams, but maybe this is just like some confidence building and they're going to go into San Francisco. They've always played well on the Hilltop. They've never lost there since they joined the WCC. Like maybe this is like just the time they're going to get a really great win over, over a quality team. That's a a top 50 Ken Palm win. Maybe it's just, this is just the turning point for the season. And then I watched the game and it was not that. <laughs> no, I mean, the first like 10 minutes or so, BYU was up 15 to three. You're like, all right, BYU, they're, maybe they'll maybe not win this game, but really put together a good game. Because coming into the game in San Francisco was 15 and three. They already had a win over St. Mary's. They gave Gonzaga all they could handle. So I think coming into the game, both of us, Steve, I mean, we knew how good San Francisco was. And um, yeah. the thing about San Francisco, the reason BYU struggled, it seems this has kind of become a theme for BYU this season. And it makes sense because of BYU's personnel. I mean, any team that has size, BYU has struggled against every one of those teams. Um, Mississippi State, uh, Nevada has some size down low. Um, obviously, BYU is going to struggle against Gonzaga. I mean, St. Mary's has a little bit of size. And then San Francisco, after Gonzaga, they're probably the biggest team in the WCC. I mean, the reason BYU started 4-1 and one is because teams like Pacific and Pepperdine, those teams are even smaller than BYU. And you think about BYU just doesn't have many big guys. I mean, now that BYU plays Gavin Baxter, they have a little bit more size. But San Francisco is just a really big team. And they start a seven-footer. They have Renfro, who's 6'9". They play like four guys, I think, that are 6'9 and above. I think that was a big reason why Yoli really struggled because they just threw a lot of big bodies at Yoli, which is something he hasn't seen a lot, especially a team that BYU that gets gets a lot of their points from inside the arc they really struggled against that length of south florida i mean sorry south florida uh usf the san francisco so i think that's kind of been a theme we've seen the whole year and i don't think that's going to get any better just BYU struggles against teams that have any sort of length particularly on the inside and so i mean that's i mean that's we're going to see that going forward i think st mary's has a little bit of length but other things that that san francisco game steve um one thing that was struggling that I didn't understand is after Gavin Baxter had such a good game against Pepperdine. And I even said after the game, I, I said, if Gavin Baxter plays like that, BYU could compete for the second spot in, in the WCC. And I really felt like if Gavin Baxter gives that consistent effort. He's that much of a game changer for BYU. Cause he just gives BYU and really no other team in the conference outside of Gonzaga has a player like Gavin Backstrike. He's that big of a game changer in the conference when he plays like that. Obviously, you know, I can't expect that night in, night out. But I mean, he did some good. Dave Rose did play him in the first half, not as much as like really wanted to see. But Gavin Baxter in the second half, he got zero impact minutes and he got put in in garbage time at the end. So I just, I just really struggled to see why he didn't get a lot of minutes, particularly given the personnel that San Francisco has, they have a lot of long dudes. They don't shoot the ball well. They get the ball in the paint like crazy. I think they had over 50 points in the paint, I believe, that game. So that was just the perfect game Gavin Baxter could have affected with his shot blocking ability. And he just didn't get the type of minutes that I expected. So I really struggled with that. I didn't really get that decision. I mean, we're not here necessarily to question coaching decisions, but it was a little discouraging to see him. He got more minutes than he normally does, particularly coming off that Pepperdine game. BYU really needed a guy to kind of counteract that size and then as far as other things steve i mean yoli he kind of that first half was just a dumpster fire all around and yoli even mentioned it post game that you kind of you see how well 
San Francisco is coached. I mean, they're kind of a mini version of St. Mary's. They move the ball extremely well. They're just moving the ball so well. And a lot of that's Frankie Ferrari. He's a really good point guard. He's not a good of a scorer as TJ Haas, but he's just an elite distributor. They just move the ball so well. Their sets are so organized. And it was just total contrast to BYU. And Yoli even mentioned it. He's like, he said, BYU doesn't play hero bar necessarily, but he said he was just envious of the way USF moves the ball. So, I mean, it was just, you saw that BYU just, I, I mean, they give the ball, the way they give the ball to Yoli, they just kind of throw the ball to him and down the block and say, okay, go to work. I mean, I don't feel like he's getting involved very well down low. So, I mean, it was just a dichotomy, what you see, the way South Florida, I mean, I don't know why I keep saying South Florida, the way San Francisco moves the ball and the way- Old habits B- die hard. Yeah. And I, don't even, I don't even know why it's a habit because BYU never even plays South go Florida. Bulls. Yeah, exactly. Go Bulls. <laughs> but uh, just, it was just discouraging to see how well USF is coached and how well they move the ball compared to what BYU's doing out there. I mean, it was just night and day. So, I mean, that was a lot of kind of just spit out. That was just kind of- pontificating a little bit and kind of just getting some of those things off my chest. But yeah, it was just, there was absolutely zero progress from what we've seen. It was just terrible. Just, I mean, San Francisco's a good team, but it was just zero progress of what we've seen the whole year. That was just really frustrating to me that nothing changed. Yeah. And the San Francisco, the St. Mary's comparison is really apt because it looked a lot like the first St. Mary's game uh, mm-hmm. on the road in Moraga. It was the same type of game that was... And- Started close. BYU hung around for like 10 minutes and then they just got pasted and looked like they didn't even belong on the same floor. They looked scared. They looked weak. They were totally out of rhythm offensively. They got pushed around defensively. It was yep. it was just and BYU ugly. struggles against size. discipline and San Francisco is very yeah. disciplined and BYU struggled against that. Yeah, and they they play that you know it's that Spursian type offense mm-hmm. where it's constant motion and moving and sharing the ball and and anyone can beat you at any time because they're putting guys in places to maximize their skills and that BYU just I, I don't I think they just have like defensive ADD like they can't pay attention for that long and like that yeah. USF just worked them until they got like a wide open layup it's not that you mentioned them getting just like crushed. And and yeah, San Francisco is big, but it's not like they were just like backing them down or anything. Like their no. big starting center, uh, Lowell or whatever his name is, he only had like six points. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like they were getting, and they didn't give up that many offensive rebounds. I only like five or six offensive rebounds in the entire game, which has been a problem uh, in Pat in kind of throughout this year. It's hard to give so up second like chance points when they're making the first chance point. So right, exactly, <laughs> yes, but they're not. It wasn't yeah. offensive rebounds. It wasn't getting beat on post ups. It just couldn't stay in front of ball handlers, which obviously causes rotation problems. And they couldn't stick with cutters. They couldn't stay connected with cutters. And so it was just like they were shooting layups the whole night. And USF's not that great of a three point shooting team, but they, and they didn't take that many. They only took nineteen, but they made nine of them. They made almost fifty percent of their threes, which for them is is huge for a team that doesn't usually shoot very well from out there. And, you know, you get, like, the refrain on Twitter. is like, oh, my gosh. Like, Greg Rubel is tweeting, like, oh, oh my gosh. USF is not a good three-point shooting team, but they're sure shooting good tonight. Well, golly it's geez, like, it's how funny how happen? this keeps happening. <laughs> In every game, it happens this way. Even if a, a, a mediocre shooting college team. So, what do you think the common uh, denominator is there, open Steve? Looks, they make it. 
Well, I, it's, it's bad defense, yeah. Robbie. <laughs> yeah, yeah crazy, huh? <laughs> oh my gosh, it was. But yeah, you're right. It was. It was very frustrating because it felt like there had been progress, and then the progress just disappeared over a span of like two days, and it, it was like back to like the war, maybe the worst that they've played. I don't know if that was worse than the St. Mary's game, but that was definitely like bottom three in terms of how bad they've it, played at any point. It, it was just year. frustrating because. San Francisco was getting, they were getting so many points at the basket because Buett had no rim protector because he was sitting on the freaking bench. Like Gavin Baxter should have been playing more than he was. Like Luke Worthington's not going to block shots. Like you need a rim protector and he's sitting on the freaking bench. Has he free- ever blocked a shot? Uh, he, I think he might have one time an accident. I think he he put his arm up and I think <laughs> he meant to fa- he meant to foul the guy and it actually got blocked. But I mean, it's Buett had their freaking rim protector on the bench. It's like, a cor- like I don't know. It's just frustrating. And I mean, Dave yeah. Rose is way smarter about basketball than I'll ever be, but it's just like, right. What are you playing for this season? You barely above 500, your best, your highest ceiling guy is on the bench. He might transfer and you're there. I guess, I guess you want another four-star guy to transfer. I mean, that's what it's screaming to me. So, Oh, Robbie, I appreciate your humility and I appreciate you saying you're not here to, you know, question coaching decisions, but I'm very much here to question coaching decisions, <laughs> yeah. especially at this point in the season. Yeah. Um, and I'm very much here to question not playing Gavin Baxter serious minutes, particularly after he was just bananas on Thursday, particularly against a team that has nothing but size and you have absolutely zero other length or shot blocking ability on the entire roster, especially when the season's over and not going anywhere for all intents and purposes and you need to invest in the guys who actually will be here or should hopefully be here for the future. It just, it makes zero sense why he didn't play more it makes zero sense why rylan bergerson didn't get as much run uh as as he needs to uh it's there's i I have lots of questions which i guess is a good a good segue to our conversation about where we are now where does this leave us i I think this puts byu at 12 and 9 overall 4 and 2 in the wcc and i think we finally dropped out of the top 100 in ken palm Correct me if I'm wrong, which I don't know when the last time that happened. I don't know if that's ever, it may have happened in Dave Rose's first season, but it's never happened since then that BYU has been outside the top 100. So, I mean, granted, there's 350 Division I teams, but I mean, uh, most of those teams shouldn't even be Division One. It's it'd be like if it'd be like in, <laughs> in college football if you combine the FBS and the FCS. And then when, during BYU's four and nine season, you could have said, "Oh, BYU's in the top half of college football. BYU's not that bad." That's exactly what it'd be like if you like if you combine the FBS and FCS. That's what college basketball is like. Just there's just a huge chasm between the top and the bottom half. So BYU being 103, I mean, it's the worst at least since the season before Dave Rose took over. I I need to double check see if it's the worst since his first season, but um. I mean, yeah, BYU's 12-9 right now, 4-2 and two in the WCC. They've been beating up on the bad teams, losing to any team that's halfway decent. And then they got a home stretch coming up, Steve. I mean, but I mean, the next two games are going to be bad. I mean, next three are at home and four <laughs> of the next five are at home. And then, so, Steve, BYU's 12-9 right now. There's 10 games left. What do you think, I mean, counting the post, so counting the WCC tournament and counting any potential um, postseason berth, do you think BYU will get to the beloved 20-win mark that so many people like to talk about? Do you think BYU will hit 20 wins this year? 
No, which is why it makes no sense to not play all of the young kids. They're not getting to 20 wins. No. Look, if they there's 10 games left, right? They have 12 wins right now. That means they need to win. They're they're not winning more than one game in the W in the WCC tournament because that means they have to win games away from the Marriott Center, which we know they don't do yeah. very they well. They can maybe beat a Pepperdine um, so or Santa, Santa Clara in the first round. I think BYU could do that. Right. Maybe they win the mm-hmm. first round game, so they get one win there. If they take us invitation to the CBI, if it's even extended to them at this point, then maybe you get like one more. Ge- that would really be the saving grace. That's the only way it yeah. happens is if they like do like reasonably well, they win their home games, which I think is kind of the big question right now is, you know, like you mentioned, you've got a lot of home games coming up. BYU has been pretty good at home, but it's also been really bad teams at home. So I think kind of the final piece of the final judgment day for this team and like what team, what kind of type of team it is, is like Saturday, right? They have St. Mary's who they just got absolutely waxed by on the road coming into the Marriott center. We're, we're going to see if this is a, a team that is, if this BYU team is just a team that is really good at home and, and not good on the road, which is a fine way. That's a lot. Of That's kind of was like, like in the Steve or, Cleveland era. I felt like BYU would never lose at the Marriott center, but then they'd lose that road on the road. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so maybe it's that kind of a team, or maybe they just get waxed by St. Mary's at the at home too, and that tells us it's a much worse situation <laughs> than even that. Yeah. So regardless, either either outcome's not really that great, but uh, I think the only way they can get to twenty wins is if they win win their home games, you know, minus you know Gonzaga, but you know that me- that means they have to beat St. Mary's at home, they have to beat San Francisco at home, and then they win one game in the WCC tournament. And then they're still, even if they do that, they're still probably coming up short going into whatever postseason tournament they may or may not play in. So maybe they do have to just like go to the CBI and really try and make a, a, a high quality run to get Davis. I know. And then we'll get, I'm pretty sure that's the only thing he's coaching. Yeah, for. And then point. we'll get Dave and we'll get Greg Rebell tweeting on Twitter. How, how amazing Dave Rose has got another 21 season in this era of college basketball. How we, we need to extend <laughs> Dave Rose till he dies. So I, I can't oh, wait gosh. for all those Dave, tweets. You know, Greg Rubel, but we don't we haven't talked about Greg on the podcast at all. Yeah. God bless Greg Rubel. That man has more pos- more capacity for positivity yeah. than I have capacity for anything in my entire life. Like I I I don't I'm not a Greg Rubel hater. I think what he does He's is great. important. Obviously, he works for you the university now. He's great. He's a really good play by play guy. I appreciate his dedication to BYU sports. The man's dedicated his life to it, which I highly respect. But man. It's just the positivity is so much that sometimes when it's like positivity in the face of like the black cloud of death, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or at least the basketball equivalent of it, I just I just can't do yeah. it. I can't do it, Greg. I mean, I'm sorry. Shout out to him for finding able. I mean, BYU could shoot two of twenty nine from three and be like, this is the first time since 1973 that BYU has made a three pointer in the 1736 mark of the first half and the 1437 mark of the first half. <laughs> Congratulations, BYU. I mean, it's always oh, I need to go find the tweet from the other day. He tweeted one the after the, I think it was Saturday night or Sunday morning after the San Francisco game. He had felt like some tweet, some arcane piece of of trivia like that. It was like yeah. he's just really spinning this whole thing yeah. in some. And I was like, oh, Greg, Greg, just let us all grieve. It's we don't need you don't you don't have to sell us yeah, now, we, man. It's we okay. See it. We all know. I mean, analytics definitely have their place, but like a Colin Coward, he says there's analytics and analytics. Like analytics have their place, but at the same time, I mean, there's the results and the eye test speaks for itself. So, I mean, the, I, I mean, I love Greg Grubel. I think I love his play by play and I love his statistical and historical knowledge, but 
yeah, it's just it's just kind of funny sometimes the way uh, some of the lipstick gets put on the pig every once every once in a while. <laughs> Uh, one note, Steve, I guess before we move on to St. Mary's, um, I did see just a couple hours ago, Jashir put on his Instagram Instagram stories, a picture of him with his cast, and it said, one more week, uh, crying face emoji. So it sounds like he's going to miss at least the St. Mary's game this week, possibly beyond. So do not expect... Would- would you be surprised? Would you be surprised if that just continues to happen for the rest yeah, of just, the season? Yeah, one more just like, week. Oh, oh, one more week. Man, one, one more week, week, and he just never plays I mean, again. Based on what we know, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he's still on scholarship, and he gets his free food, gets his stipend every month, gets his degree, and then gets out of there. I think that's a very real possibility. Yeah. I think. I mean, there's no reason. Like, if you're just your hard net, there's no reason. No. To, what are you what trying are you, to? What are you rushing yourself back for? You don't want to put yourself in a position where you could really get hurt and jeopardize, you know, whatever you're going to try and do next no, year. No, I, I think coaches at this point already knows what he is. I don't think if he comes back, it's not like he's going to have a lot of ton of good film. Like, he knows what he is. He's a quick guard. He's really good with his left hand, and he could do a little bit defending. Because I mean, there's a place for him, whether it's BYU or another team in the future. I don't. I mean, BYU. I feel like might not even want it back necessarily either. I think BYU had kind of seen they'd kind of just want the ball in TJ's hands, maybe have get some of the younger guys more time. So maybe it's kind of maybe kind of one of those unspoken things. Maybe it's best for each party back. Hey, just here, just keep that wrap on your hand. You could get your scholarship, quietly graduate, move on, and then we could kind of retool this thing for the future. So I think maybe that could be an unspoken yeah. thing. But um so yeah don't ex- yeah, we'll see. But for sure don't expect him back this week according to Breaking news, according to Jashir's Instagram story. So we'll get some of that breaking news music, maybe, on the on when we redo this. But, uh, maybe yeah. our intern Phil can. Get yeah. Slot By the way, for us. Quick, we want to give a shout out to Phil at the end, but we do have Phil Hyatt. He's a BYU student. He'll be helping us with the podcast, with producing it, getting us content, um, going to the game. So we're really excited to have for Phil Hyatt what he could provide. But um, so. Big, Big shouts shout to, to Phil. Phil. All right, so um, last last thing before we get out of here, let's, yeah, let's finish, finish it up. up. Preview, looking ahead of this week, we already mentioned, so this is St. Mary's. This is the first repeat opponent of the year. Obviously, we know what happened the first time. We already talked about it. They got yeah. crushed in Moraga in the first meeting. What needs to be different this time, Robbie? Just give me. I, I've I've all but forgotten everything that happened in that game. I have forcefully erased it from my mind. Tell me what I needs did. to be different for this to not be as bad as that. I know. I, I, I forgot too. So I went back to the stat sheet to see what the stats could find so I could do give you a Greg Rubel uh, stat. How The game was actually good, Steve. So, no. Um, <laughs> at so at 12.45 left in the first half, Nick yeah. Emery scratched his left ear, and it was the first time that a BYU player had successfully scratched their left ear left in ear. 45 years. What a great season. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> exactly. Um, oh, man. But uh, no, so I was trying to remember what happened in the game, Steve. Like you said, I just purged that game from my memory. But if you remember, it was there was some similarities to the San Francisco game. So it was really close. The game was tied at 25 with about five minutes left in the first half until the wheels just completely fell off. But if you remember, it was... Yoli and TJ, of course, were really good that game. And then Nick had a... I thought that was the game where Nick finally was going to turn the corner. I think he had 13 points that game. It kind of looked like he kind of established himself right. as the number three scorer. But he's offensively, at least, he's been 
really bad since then. Do you think they have I mean, like the, those... the milk cartons with his face on them in Utah County these days? Because I don't know what happened to him. The dude just disappeared. I, I have no idea. He's been disappeared. I mean, he's averaging five points on the season. And yeah, since that St. Mary's game, I could think of maybe two plays where he scored. Like he's a couple drives to the basket. But I mean, he's you could tell he gives the effort on defense, which I mean, is awesome. I love to see that. But I mean, offensively, I mean, he's just night and day from what we saw his freshman and sophomore year. Just Something's still going on there. I mean, maybe he's still working things out, but I mean, you got to hope whether it's this season or next season, he puts it together. But I mean, in that game, outside of those three, the rest of the team scored a combined 12 points and four of 19 shooting, which not by analytically, Steve, I think that's not good. Buzz, your bet's Um, straight. Woof. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely not good. Um, And then turnovers. So St. Mary's is not a team that turns you over, but, and then, and especially they don't get fast break points. These were two really concerning stats from that, Steve, from that game, Steve. So first of all, St. Mary's had 10 steals compared to BYU's one. And the bad thing about steals, they often leave their live ball turnovers are often worse than just dead ball turnovers because it could lead to fast break points. So if you would say, I mean, style wise, St. Mary's, they're almost always dead last in tempo. Mm -hmm. And BYU is almost in the top 30 tempo. And that game, Steve, uh, fast break points. St. Mary's had eight fast break points. BYU had zero fast it's break points. It's a really big problem for BYU, a team that likes to play fast. <laughs> yeah, and if you have, if your team likes to play fast and you get zero fast break points, that's a problem. And you give up eight fast break, point, fast break points to St. Mary's, a team that just deliberately walks it up up the floor. So, I mean, turnovers were a big part of that game because St. Mary's, if you're going to turn the ball over to St. Mary's, the team that doesn't try to turn you over, they just try to stay in front of you. I mean, you're you're going to get blown up by 20, and that's exactly what happened. So BYU's got to take care of the ball, and that's the biggest thing. And then kind of a theme from the first 20-plus games of the season, BYU needs other people to step up, whether that's Gavin Baxter, Nick Emery, whoever it be, maybe BYU needs a third person. I think since BYU is playing at home, there will be somebody else that steps up because BYU plays much, much better at home. But turnovers is the biggest thing that needs to change because BYU turns the ball over like they did last game. It's going to be another 20-point loss. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I just have this vision in my head of like, you know, uh, TJ, let's say TJ is like dribbling across like half court. And let's just say that like Mm -hmm. a St. Mary's player uh, let's call him Jordan Ford. Like just picked, yeah. just picked TJ's pocket, just clean at midcourt, and just had nothing between himself and the basket. I'd like to imagine that he would just be like, uh, "Let's let's slow it up. Let's run a set. Let's none, right. none, none of this fast break <laughs> stuff. Up, let's just it. let's slow it up. Let's get in the let's get in the set. Let's run it. And you know, let's yeah, get Randy a better Bennett's shot. running out the court, two hands, slow it down, <laughs> slow it down. <laughs> There's 27 seconds on the shot clock. You can't you shoot. Cannot it. shoot it. We have to wait. We have to <laughs> yeah. go for at least 25 more seconds before we can shoot the ball um but it works for them and yeah. they kill us every time except for the tournament last year yep. in which we won um We're, yeah you only made six threes so yeah, that that was that was something else that was an out of body experience that was amazing yeah. yeah um so how's this going to turn out robbie that was a very good summation i agree with all of those things what do we expect what, what's your prediction for this game is byu going to be able to do this or what so byu is going to lose um, Excellent. I'm glad, we, I'm we, glad we're starting off in a yeah. good place. All right. Let's sign off until uh, next week. But uh, I th- BYU does play well at home. BYU, I, I don't think BYU's ever even, I don't think BYU's ever been blown up by St. Mary's at home. So I think it's going to, it's going to be close, especially this is a good St. Mary's team, but it's probably one of their weaker teams in the last three years. 
So I think BYU is going to keep it close. The crowds, it's not going to be a huge crowd, but they do show up pretty well. I think since it is St. Mary's, they will show up pretty well. So I'd expect a close game, but I think St. Mary's is the more disciplined team and BYU loses by about three points. That's my prediction. That's the only game for this week. BYU is off on Saturday. So that's my prediction. Extremely tough stuff for our guys. And I wish that I could say that I disagree with that prediction, but I don't because I think that, you know, the only way it could get worse, Robbie, is if Mm -hmm. the Dell of a Dagger was rebirthed and TJ hit like an incredible, let's say TJ hit an incredible falling away foul line jumper to steal the game. And then Jordan Ford heaved it from half court to destroy my soul yet again. And then I have to see both of them replayed every single time BYU <laughs> plays St. Mary's yeah. for the rest of my natural life. Yeah. That's the only way that this can I, get worse. <laughs> I, I was on my mission, so as far as I was concerned, the Delva Dagger never happened. Oh, so I was lucky, that, lucky son of a gun. Yeah. And Jake keeps software season never happened either. Man, so you, none of the none of those things happened. You missed all that you missed all the bad stuff. But thankfully you're around for this. So you're getting you're getting yes. your fill now. <laughs> yep, karma. Yep. Oh my goodness. What a what a what a time to be alive, Robbie. Robbie, any last thoughts? Any any last feelings, intuitions, insights for the for the for the for BYU fandom before we say goodbye for the week? Yeah, that was uh, you put me on the spot there, Steve. Uh, I have nothing to say. A lot, um, well, I, I certainly nothing. This good. has been a somber episode. <laughs> it's been a somber episode. So why make it? Why make it happier? Let's leave on a somber note. <laughs> At the very least, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is a realistic podcast. We're we're, we're clear eyed yeah. in our assessment of the current state of uh, of our favorite men's collegiate basketball team, and. To be frank, in the words of the great, uh, the great advertising executive Peter Campbell, it's not great, Bob. It's not great, but you know what? <laughs> maybe, maybe it could get better. And you know, if it, we will fight day or night, rain or there snow. There we go. That, there we go. The fight song. I, I at least redeemed myself by remembering the fight song. He's got it. Our that boy is back. I got it, guys. Our boy is it. back. Boy's he remembers gonna, the fight song. wins. It's because of that. <laughs> usually, Steve, the, usually the best time BYU plays is after we just totally slam them uh, after on a podcast. Like after a, just a horrible stretch, we'll just slam the team and then they'll beat Utah or they'll beat, they'll go in two games at home or they'll do something. So maybe we're giving the team some good karma. Yeah. See, I'll this is like that. the opposite of the BYU Sports Nation karma where they're like, oh, yeah, we're giving you the karma and like the, the monks <laughs> chant and everything. This is like the opposite of that. It's like we're giving you the, the like shut up it. and jimmer karma, which is basically that's just shut yelling up. about how you're incompetent for 45 just minutes. Just ripping your own, but then you'll play well. Yeah. So we're get, they're getting some shut up and jimmer karma, Steve. Yeah, just so inspiring I, I like it. you I like it. pure, unfiltered nastiness <laughs> yeah yeah there we go all right well we'll see we'll see if it works we'll see if the shut up and karma shut up and jimmer karma works uh to be the first to know follow us on on the old twitter on the old twitter that's you'll get all of our thoughts uh you know in real time follow robbie at at rt mccombs and you can follow me uh, at post jimmer and again as robbie already said special thanks big shouts to our to our intern and uh fearless podcast editor uh, Phil Hyatt, who we're so happy to have joining us on this journey yes. of journey of misery and woe, which, let's be fair, could turn around this week if we get a, vid- a victory over St. Mary's, but probably not. But in any case, we will be here. As Robbie said, we will fight day or night. 
rain or snow. We'll see you next week. Go Cougars.